Hello, and welcome to the One Thing Podcast brought to you by the Horton Group. We're at the Horton Group. We specialize in insurance, employee benefits, and risk advisory. And I'm your host, Jason Helford. Anchored in Christ, guided by faith, driven by purpose, positioned to thrive. Our next guest knows those words all too well. As he's the president of Elam, Elam Christian Services out of Illinois, I'd like to welcome a friend and client of the Horton Group, Bill Lodewig. How you doing, Bill? Great, Jason. So good to be with you guys today. Well, thanks. We are happy to have you. I know you love this time of year just like I do. You could probably tell the background. We got the Christmas village set up. I had all four of my kids in this last week, and they were setting it up. So we are excited for this time of year. Yeah, and it looks like you're probably displaying that uh, Taves jersey up there, too. <laughs> yes, I I'm praying to the big man upstairs to help the Blackhawks because they're on tough times right now. But we've seen a lot of good times with them over the years, though. Oh, yeah, we yeah. <laughs> But, uh, Bill, so the mission of Elam, and your website states it as follows, and if it's okay with you, uh, or read it. I know you know what it is, but our viewing audience might not. So Elam Christian Services equips people with disabilities to pursue their God-given potential by offering person-centered services and partnering with the community. So, Bill, when I read that and, and you hear that, I'm sure you think about certain things, but why is that mission so important to you? Well, I, I think, I know, as a Christian and uh, Elam rooted in our Christian heritage and tradition, um, the, the words that first capture my imagination are God-given potential. You know, I think about the fact that all of us have human potential, but only God knows God-given potential. Um, and often that goes beyond what our world would understand to be potential. For, so, for example, I was walking uh, a supporter through Elam today, mm -hmm. and what I told him to be mindful of was the amount of unconditional love that would be coming his way as, on our tour. Oh, what great and, is that? Uh, that to me is a powerful expression of God-given potential. Mm -hmm. I'm often so limited in my ability to love people because of my own insecurities or because of the way that I view them. Um, our students and adults don't have those inhibitions. Mm -hmm. um, they just love people because they love people. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's God-given potential, you know, manifested in a very real way. Well, that... That's beautiful. Thank you. I, I think so. And I, and so for those of you that might not know, or I guess, Bill, for people who might not know, you know, what types of person-centered services are provided at Elam? And I think you hinted on it a little bit there, but what role does faith like play in those services? Well, yeah, faith is absolutely integral to what we do. Um, and it, it really begins with acknowledging the fact that uh, God has created each and every human being in his image and that each and every human being, no matter what our ability or disability might be, mm -hmm. um, is created with a purpose to reflect God's character into our world. Um, so for some of our adult or student participants, all of our employees, um, they may have uniquely been wired with some certain quality of God's character that they are uniquely positioned to, you know, to shine into the world. Um, and, and so that's sort of the beginning for us. It's, 
Mm-hmm. It's what we recognize in each person that they're not, it's just not about independence for them. It's, it's about exploring and manifesting and maximizing, you know, the, the image of God in mm-hmm. them as the way that God designed them to be. Right. And then, so what are, what are some of those services, Bill, that we're, you're providing to uh, your program participants? Yeah, so we, we're a unique uh, environment in that we provide services for children as young as three, uh, all the way to adults who, mm-hmm. you know, whenever God calls them home, um, could be 80-something years old. Sure. So uh, we provide uh, very specialized educational services for students with profound disabilities uh, between the age of three and 22. So when they become 22, then they transition into adulthood mm-hmm. and they move into uh, a whole different sphere of service for us, which is our day programming uh, for adults from the age mm-hmm. of 22 until, you know, the day God calls them home. Sure. So walk me through, if you can, I don't know if it's a fair question, but a, a traditional day in the life of an Elam participant, you know, what could some, what could a family member expect if one of their, their loved ones was um, part of the Elam family? Right. Well, you know, I, I think what you're asking is, is sort of what is the routine of their day look like? Because I think at the, at the heart of it for us, it's about the love and care and respect that we would show mm-hmm. uh, to each of our participants. But from a routine standpoint, uh, they're going to get picked up by um, a bus driver, a van driver who, you know, loves them, knows them by name and greets them and welcomes them onto the bus, gets them into, you know, our facility, whether it's our school or our our adult day program. Um, And they would walk in to an environment where they're greeted by staff that know them intimately Mm -hmm. and uh, invite them into a routine that is very clear to them. So, for example, Uh, Students with autism, the students that we have with autism would come in and their daily schedule and everything that's needed for that day schedule would be right there on the wall next to their desk. And they would clearly be able to see that they're going to be progressing from this Mm -hmm. activity to this activity. Then they'll have this, then they'll have this. And for every one of those activities that they go through, then they take the pictorial card, they peel it off with the Velcro, they put it off to the side, and then... So they're walking through their day very much with their staff people. And mm-hmm. that day would include some devotions uh, that occur within the context of the classroom, would involve um, whatever it is that their IEP, their individualized program requires, but it would often include things like therapy, various therapies, occupational therapy, physical therapy, but then also uh, classroom activities um, and potentially a field trip. For our adults, Mm -hmm. it would include activities both on campus and, Lord willing, off campus. Sure. Whether it's a work environment or whether it's a field trip where they're engaging with the community, um, all of those things would be part of their daily routine. Yeah, what I love about I've gotten to know you and Elam over the years. And, you know, one thing that I've come to appreciate and and love about Elam is that, you know, it truly is person-centered, it's not everybody has, here's what we're doing for everybody. Because you understand, and as you eloquently said, everybody's their own individual. They have yeah. their own aspirations, right? Their yeah. own likes and dislikes. And so what I found that I think is why people love and appreciate Elam so much is that's truly what it is. This is for you. 
It is. What do you want to see? You know, what do your parents want to see? And I, and I love that about it. So that's one thing that's always warmed my heart when I hear the Elam story. And I think you carry that torch very well. And speaking of yourself, how do, how were you? I don't even know if I know this, Bill. How were you introduced to Elam? Well, my background is in education, you know, um, educational as a teacher, but then also as an administrator. And um, one day, my predecessor, who was about to retire, um, called me up when I was working as a high school principal and said, Bill, I just want you to know that God laid your name on my heart at two o'clock in the morning. I sat up in bed. We said, we've been on a long search. We haven't found my successor. And God laid my name on your heart. And I want to have breakfast with you this morning and tell you about it. And the rest is history. Uh, That was some 22, 23 years ago now. You couldn't ignore it. (laughs) No, I I, I mean, you know, and when you when you know that it's God's call for your life, right, then you step into it. And uh, it's it's been a challenging but rewarding journey all the way through. Sure. Well, I, I know there's a lot of rewarding stories and potentially hopefully we can get to the, some of those. But I think, you know, you and I have uh, discussed, I guess, at length a little bit about some of the challenges that, you know, Elam is, is facing and um, staffing being a large one of those. And, and Bill, you and I know that's not unique to you. It's not unique to Horton, for that matter. Um, so you're not alone in that regard. But you know, what has some of the staffing issues, those challenges, you know, how has it impacted your ability to provide services to the people that you love and care for? Well, that's a great question um, because it is sort of the question of our times right now. Um, Really extreme headwinds on the staffing front. We feel that um, as much as so many other organizations. Um, But what I would say for us in the school environment is that what we've had to do is turn the spigot down, the faucet, if you will, Mm -hmm. for incoming enrollment. Um, So we have probably 25 people on our current waiting list that could be coming in in the next week or two if we had the staff to take them. Um, And that that just breaks my heart because you know those families, those districts are looking for supports and interventions into the life of each of these students in ways that will help them, you know, become as independent as possible. Mm -hmm. And um, delays are are not welcome. Uh, On the adult services side, we have some of the same sorts of things. We have had to slow down um, the the train on admissions uh, just because we don't have the staff to adequately serve them. What I would say is that we've made some really creative and thoughtful um, investments in recruitment. Okay. Um, and in retention. And what we're beginning to see is incremental improvement in our staffing situation. So we ha- we are now admitting some of those students and adults who have been waiting to get in. Um, it's not as quickly as we'd like, but as we're able to hire staff, uh, we're able to bring more and more of them on. Um, so that that's a big deal. And the other thing I think that's really true for us is asking some really hard questions about ourselves from a retention standpoint. You know, what is it that's causing people, you know, to leave Mm -hmm. um, if they leave? And and so some of this stuff is really actually good. Crisis brings out the best in all of us. 
Sure. And so I'm curious, and I, I know the answer because we talked. <laughs> and so right. you mentioned some of those uh, unique recruitment strategies or unique retention strategies. You know, just as important, right, we, we've spent so much time and effort and energy in bringing people into our, our work family and then to see them leave for other opportunities. We understand that happens. You know, we're, we wish them the best when they do leave. We'd love to keep the, the people that are in our organizations happy and here with us. And I know uh, your organization, like a lot of the nonprofits, you, you, it's hard sometimes to compete you know, from the dollar, a pure dollar standpoint. And so I'm only guessing that some of the unique ways you're using to recruit and retain are not always solely, solely surrounded by the dollar. So what else are you, what are you talking about? And what are your, the feedback you mentioned? Like what kind of feedback are you getting from your employees? Hey, we have this problem. You know, why don't we do this? Or why don't we try right. that? Right. Well, I, I think first I go to our recruitment. We did some rebranding, which is great. But one of the things that came out in our recruitment and it's, it's we're, are we cho- who are we choosing to compete with? Mm-hmm. And it's our sense that we're not practically competing with a place like Amazon if we're able to distinguish ourselves based on our recruiting message. And our recruiting message is, is something like this. It's more than a job, it's a calling. And so we're appealing to people who are looking to fill their lives with something more fulfilling than just a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that has been effective because it's also affected where we've gone with our recruitment and marketing. Uh, and then on the retention side, we, we exposed ourselves to a wonderful um, employee survey instrument that allowed us to get our employees to provide us with detailed feedback. And then the data on that has been just tremendous. What'd you We're find able out? to drill down and find out where the hot and cold areas are for um, you know, culture in our organization. And uh, it has allowed us to get in, uh, re, you know, go into those areas, solicit staff input into how we might be able to bring remediation to some of those um, challenging issues mm-hmm. that they've identified. Sure. And uh, it allows us to be very focused in certain parts of the organization where culture is most at risk. Um, and that tends to be in places where we're most short staffed and dealing with the most difficult participants. So that process has been really, really good because it provides us with detailed data but then it also gets staff involved in helping us make and put together solutions. Well, it's good. We hear, you know, we hear some individuals, some agencies, I should say, that, that do the surveys and some, quite frankly, and, you know, I'm not, um, not casting judgment by any means, but they don't want to because they then they have to do what? Do something with it. And so I think there's a challenge there. And I'll, I'll applaud you for leaning in. And what I found is the people that agencies that do the surveys, but also have the individual survey respondents as part of the the solution. Right here, we identified these issues that maybe at our core we can fix, but there have been a challenge. What do you suggest? Absolutely. And I, when you bring people into the, into the problem-solving arena, it's not just you, right, as the president of the agency. I think you find a lot better responses. You a lot, the culture starts to change. And so, you know, can you share anything that you found, right? You heard people speak up. They said this. You heard this. Any kind of cool solutions that were brought into, brought kind of out of the, of the woodwork, if you will? Well, it's it's interesting you ask. So we have we are at a place now where we have 
multiple solution groups in different areas of the organization that are at work. They are meeting with a facilitator and developing their recommendations. Okay. In January, myself and other members of our executive leadership team will be sitting down with each of those solution groups separately and hearing what solutions they're proposing. Um, but I can tell you one thing that's become apparent to me. Um, we've always been about equity um, in pay, mm -hmm. no matter what area in the organization you kind of work in. So if you're in a program area, you know, if you go in this area or that area, you're typically going to find people at the same level who are getting paid the same amount of money. What we're finding is that our program, particularly our autism program, is acutely short-staffed okay. because it's arguably the most difficult work, you know, in the organization. But yet we generally pay those people the same that we pay others in other areas of the organization. Okay. And we've always been reluctant to do anything about that because, you know, you get, oh, it's not fair or, but what the data is clearly showing us is that we have the most acute cultural issues in that area of the organization. And so we as upper management must make decisions to address that. And it gives us a very good reason to mm -hmm. communicate that to the rest of the staff yep. um, so that it minimizes, it, it really makes it data-based, data-focused. Yeah. Uh, so that that's one thing that's coming out. That, that makes sense. And I know uh, one thing I've, I've even looked online and after a discussion with you, I tried to do some more research. Um, one benefit, if you will, it has a certain financial element to it. But I love, Bill, what Elam's doing around scholarships you know, for yeah. employees. I know you have a partnership with Trinity Christian College. And so that is certainly financial benefit, but it's also investing in your team. It's investing in education. It's investing in self-improvement. It's investing in the, the livelihood of your, your team members. And so if you can tell us more about how that came to be, maybe it was one of these groups. Hey, let's try this. Um, and, you know, what are you hearing back? I know it's early in the game, you know, but what are you hearing on that? And what do you want to share with the, the viewing audience in regards to how that program came to be? What do you think it's going to do? And what are you hearing about it? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I would say that consistently over the years, when we do exit data interviews with folks who are leaving Elam, one, probably the predominant reason they list is career advancement. And career advancement can mean a lot of different things, but certainly one of them is the opportunity for a paraprofessional, for example, to move their way towards becoming a teacher or an assistant teacher. And that gap can often be a pretty big gap. So how do we create an environment where we can begin to put our uh, paraprofessionals on a journey towards that goal, if that's a goal for them, and we have this unique relationship with Trinity Christian College called the Center for Special Education. And it's designed uh, to be a win-win for both Trinity and Elam. And so what we've been able to do is put together a program where it's a slower pace than a traditional you know, mm -hmm. teacher prep program. But it allows paraprofessionals to continue to work full time, to continue then to go to school and take a course or two at a time, to have those courses uh not completely offset financially because we mm -hmm. want our paraprofessionals to have some skin in the game, sure. but it, it really removes a lot of the traditional barriers for uh, career advancement, classwork, and those kinds of things 
for our paraprofessionals. And I think we've got 10 or 13 of them in the, the cohort that's going on right now. I love it. I love it. You know, talk yeah. about, you know, you, now again, your, your team members are there, right? Cause they want to be there. They're, they're driven to provide service. They're driven by faith to do all the things. So they're, they're having a meaningful career as it is. And then that's on right. top of that, you know, you're saying, Hey, Look, we believe in you. We want to invest more in your future. This is what you want. Great. How can we help you get there? And I think that a lot of people try to do that in, in, in agencies and for-profit, non-profit. But I don't know if many do it as well as they want to do it. But I think you're leading by example here. And I think it's a, a really good example for for-profit, non-profit, you know, whatever it may be, to, to do things like this for your team members. So I, I applaud you. I love that. I think, I think it's going to be very successful. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Right. And, and so if, if I'm sitting you know, at home or I'm listening to this on a podcast in the car, how do I find out more about this program if I, wanted to, if I was listening to it right now? Well, I, I would say that if you're in proximity to Trinity or to Elam, certainly reach out to us. And uh, I, I know that Trinity would love to have, you know, multiple classes going sure. on at one time. Um, and uh, if, if you're not in close proximity to where we are, I believe that what's being done here is something that could be replicated in other places. Um, it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's just taking the creative thinking uh, of, of really good people and making it happen. And since we have a template here, I mean, we don't know yet what the success ratio is going to be long term. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm excited about the effort. And if somebody wants to talk more about it, I'm happy uh, to talk more about it with them, but I definitely think it's replicable elsewhere. Yeah, I, I love it. So thanks for leading by example. And maybe last question for you. When you sit in your chair, Bill, as an executive of a large nonprofit providing wonderful services to individuals in Illinois, you know, what do you see? What's the future look like? Well, I, you know, by nature, because I'm a person who, uh, in my humanness, I might answer that question, you know, skeptically or negatively, but because I serve a God that is sovereign and powerful, uh, I believe our future is is very bright. Um, and I, I think one of the things that I think about, you know, we're often limited by money, right? We, mm -hmm. we at least we think we are. Sure. Uh, but we're in, we're encountering, we're going through the greatest wealth transfer in history. Um, more and more people are retiring every day, mm -hmm. um, and it, you could argue it's the richest generation ever. And there are a tremendous number of people that care deeply about what we do and are willing to come alongside and support us. Um, and so sometimes we're just limited by our own lack of creativity. So if I surround myself with willing, capable, faithful, creative people, um, we're going to look at the challenges we're facing today and tomorrow, mm -hmm. and we're going to find creative ways to get past them. And we're going to leverage our partners um, to help us make those dreams a reality. So I, I, I'm encouraged, uh, you know, by the future. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, mm -hmm. um, but I, I really am encouraged that, that we're going to continue to be able to make a difference for the next generation in ways that we can't even imagine right now. Well. I love the lens you're looking through, and I, I think that our community at large would be better, uh, better if we took your glasses and looked through them once in a while, and um, I applaud you for that. And Bill, as, as I always do in every interaction I have with you, I walk away feeling 
kind of inspired and happy. And I always smile. And so you have uh, that uncanny ability to put a smile on somebody's face. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much, Bill, for your time here today. Uh, thank you for your partnership with Horton over the years. Uh, you've been a role model to all of us. And I am just so very thankful that you were able to join us this afternoon. Well, I appreciate that, Jason. Let me let me return a favor here. Um, and I mean this with all sincerity. Um, I have a lot of respect for Horton. I'm a, a, a good friend of Glenn. I have um, really appreciated what you represent as an organization. Um, your view of risk management goes far beyond a traditional insurance program and broker service. Um, it it is all encompassing, and I know that that that's a, that really that is a, invaluable for me as a leader, you know, here at Elam, and I'm I'm so so grateful for your partnership. Well, well, thank you. I do, I do mean that. I appreciate it, and um, compliment taken. So, thank you so, so very much. I do appreciate it. Uh, so that'll wrap it up for today. So, until next time, on behalf of the Horde Group, I'm Jason Helfer saying thank you for listening to the One Thing Podcast. Mm-hmm.